Welcome to Top Shelf at the Merrick Library with your host, Carol Ann Tack. Welcome to Top Shelf at Merrick Library. I am your host, Carol Ann Tack, and I thank you all for joining me. Listeners, today's book is a sweeping debut that spans three generations of Russian history from the 1917 revolution to the last days of the Soviet Union, and that debut is The Last Russian Doll by today's guest, Kristen Lush. Kristen, thank you so much for joining me and the listeners of Merrick Library's Top Shelf Podcast. I am thrilled that you're here. Oh, thank you so much. It's lovely to be here. If you would, please tell listeners a spoiler-free version of The Last (laughs) Russian Doll. Sure. It's a family saga that spans three generations and an epic love story taking place in Soviet Russia, and it centers on a young woman who returns to her homeland after many years to Moscow to solve the mystery of her family's murders, and all she has to go on is a key left to her by her mother. It's told in two timelines, right? There's dual timelines, and what I love about your dual timelines is that when I'm with Rosie in 1991, I want to stay with Rosie in 1991 and figure out all of the things that she needs to figure out. But then when we go and spend time with Antonina, Tonya in 1916, I really want to stay with her. I want to spend time with her in that beautiful home that she lives in with those gorgeous clothes and the jewels and the beddings and the draperies. All of that is so beautifully, beautifully written. I mean, I could taste everything, smell the food, feel the material underneath my fingers. When you're writing these dual timelines, Mm. how do you keep track of that? And is there one timeline, like when you're writing Antonina, Tonya, when you're writing her, do you want to stay there longer? Did you write them separately? How does that work? Because it is seamlessly done in this book. Oh, thank you so much. And that's a really good question. It's very tricky in dual timeline historical fiction to make it all fit together and to keep the momentum going in each timeline. So it was kind of like I was inventing a jigsaw puzzle and trying to solve it at the same time. And there were moments when I felt the tension between which timeline did I want to go to? Which one did I want to spend more time in? When was it time to to jump over? But in the end, I feel like it kind of wove together somehow. It became like a tapestry, almost something three-dimensional that I could see in my mind's eye, which sounds a little strange, I know. But when I could feel it click, it just, it was an amazing feeling. Weave all of those things together. You do. Listeners, eventually you guys will see the cover of this book. You'll know exactly what we're saying here about the gorgeous tapestries and how Kristen blends all of this together. I honestly do not know how she did this and stayed safe in the process, but I guess maybe we'll find out that she didn't. I don't know. So there's a great review of The Last Russian Doll by author Wayna Randell. She says The Last Russian Doll reads like a detective story, feels like a fairy tale, and strikes readers like an enduring classic Russian masterpiece. And that is 100% true. And in that quote, she mentions fairy tales, the structure of the book and how you implement the use of fairy tales and folklore. Again, I don't want to say too much about that, but were the fairy tales always a part of your original 
tapestry design, as it were. And what made you think of creating them? Did you have those always at the beginning when you started writing? Yeah, so the story was kind of inspired by a very famous Russian fairy tale about a beautiful young woman who works as a servant. It's a bit of a Cinderella story, but she has a talking wooden doll that helps her and advises her. And whenever I read that story in the past, I was always kind of annoyed that the doll wasn't getting much credit. <laughs> I felt like it, it had all this wisdom to share and it was helping her do her chores and all these little tricks for surviving. And she was being badly treated by her family. That was definitely true. But I felt like her survival was really down to this doll and that it was more than a doll. And so I suppose that was what started the motif of fairy tales. But in the original draft, there were no fairy tales at all. It was only, they were referenced in the text, but they didn't appear on the page. And it was only when I was chatting with my agent for the first time, and that was when I was still looking to sign with agents and querying. And she said, look, why don't you actually write the fairy tales and put them into the book? And that was when I was like, okay, I want to sign with you. (laughs) That's such a great idea. I wish I thought of that myself. (laughs) Unbelievable the way that that has come together, because quite literally, they are artistically depicted on the page of The Last Russian Doll. And listeners, readers, when you get your copy, you will see exactly that. It is so beautifully done. The pages are lovely. So it works with the book and it gives it a magical realism type of feel that I was not expecting. And then I realized I was longing for them. Oh, that's so nice to hear. (laughs) Thank you. Also, Kristen, you are an award-winning flash fiction writer, and I will get to that in a bit. But The Last Russian Doll does bring to mind Dr. Zhivago for its scope. Did the book start out smaller and then the muse takes over and it kept getting bigger and bigger? I think that I was originally very inspired by books like like Dr. Zhivago in particular, because I read them very young. Dr. Zhivago and Anna Karenina and a couple others. I would say that I didn't understand most of what I was reading when I when I read them as a child, but they really had an impact on me. And I thought as a nine or ten year old, oh, I'm going to write this amazing epic love story set in Russia and it's going to span the decades and and my parents were like okay you do that you did you <laughs> <laughs> yes, now now I can lord it over them. <laughs> no, but definitely that was a major source of inspiration. So you knew you wanted to write this bigger piece. Which character shows up for you? Now you've been thinking about this since you're a little kid. Who shows up for you first? Is it Antonina? Is it Rosie? Or is it somebody different? That's a really interesting question. Um, So it wasn't as linear as that. I actually started writing a different novel set in Russia a couple years ago when I first decided that, you know what, I'm going to write a novel. And that was a young adult thriller set in Moscow, a contemporary story. And Rosie was the heroine of that story under a different name. And after I realized that that novel was not going anywhere, I was very attached to the character and I felt like she still has a story to tell. She still has a mission, something she wants to accomplish. And I thought about how I could weave that into the big historical book that was really the love of my childhood life, like this big dream that I had. And so it was Rosie first. 
now that I'm such a huge fan, I do want to know about this <laughs> YA thriller. <laughs> and congratulations are in order because the book was already shortlisted for the Caledonia Novel Award and longlisted for the Bath Novel Award. So tell me about the title because the UK version has the title mm. of The Porcelain Doll and in the US we have The Last Russian Doll. Now, do you have a different title in mind overall? Talk about that a little bit if you would. That's another great question. It's gone through many titles, many iterations. When I was querying, I called it Kukolka, so little doll in Russian, which is obviously referenced in the book itself. And then it was the UK publisher's decision to go with the porcelain doll. And because it was published there first and they went out with it first. So all the international publishers that bought it around that time call it the porcelain doll in translation. But when I was discussing it with my US editor here and with the team here, we thought that the last Russian doll had something to it that I just really, really liked. I also really thought Kukolka. Yeah. That's a great Kukulka. title. I think that's wonderful also. So only because it's, yeah, it's a cool word, isn't it? <laughs> it's referenced so often in the book. And I feel like that's just mm-hmm. sort of the natural inclination for it to, to be that. Tell me about the timing of the writing of this book, knowing the scope. What was your writing experience? And when did you start writing The Last Russian Doll after the inspiration hits. I know you said earlier when I sat down to decide and decided I'm going to start writing a novel, which I don't know if you were, if you had a glass or two before (laughs) (laughs) when you decide to write and sit down, okay, I'm going to do this. How long does that process take for you? Okay. So I started, I sat down to write a novel (laughs) after hearing an interview with my childhood favorite author on the radio. It was kind of a real moment of inspiration, this really big wake up call. Anyway, I sat down and I was like, this is good. I'm going to do it. It's going to, it's going to happen. Um, and that took about a year. (laughs) So a little longer than I anticipated. And then I got the YA thriller out of the way. And then it was kind of in early 2017, I started researching for The Last Russian Doll. And I knew that I had to read several books beforehand. I had to kind of read myself back into that period of history and get familiar with a lot of things that I'd studied, but had forgotten over the years. And it took several months of research before I actually began writing. It is beautifully researched, beautifully done. I do want to go back, as I said earlier, in addition to this marvelous debut, you are an award-winning short story and flash fiction writer. Your work has been featured in many award-winning short story anthologies, flash fiction anthologies, and your website features a few of these pieces, which is such a wheelhouse thing for me. Full Body Eraser, One Hot Day, Tapeworm, Those three have a speculative fiction feel, which I love. They're also about identity. I'm really intrigued in how you wrote those. And one can see why you are award-winning at these flash fiction pieces. Have you ever thought about taking those perfect little nuggets and making them bigger? Yes. Well, funny you should ask that because um, Tapeworm, which is the microfiction piece that appears in Best Microfiction 2022 in print, I think, that's basically the nugget of inspiration for my second novel. I drew from that 100 word, 200 word piece to write my second novel, which is still in production, but um, that's, that's how it happened. 
So listeners can't see that my mouth has dropped. <laughs> I saw them. <laughs> you see? So, Kristen is not lying. I had to take a moment and gather myself. That is wonderful news. Is that hard to switch gears from writing historical fiction to this speculative fiction? Or is it, what's that like for you to transition? It's refreshing, to be honest. I think I can get bogged down in the novel writing and kind of going over the same piece of text over and over again and scrolling down, you know, hundreds of pages. You start to feel a little overwhelmed. And then when I write something short, you know, you get this nice, clean, blank sheet, blank document on the computer, totally new characters, totally blank slate. It's like it frees your mind you're able to kind of go places and think about characters and themes and people that are totally separate from the novel. And it's really like a holiday. And then when you go back to the novel writing, you feel refreshed. You feel ready to jump into the novel pool again and begin that kind of long haul process once more. Will the title be the same? No. Okay. So it won't be that. Okay. So, oh my gosh. Well, I... I'm getting way ahead of myself. I normally think back <laughs> for the end, but I really hope you'll come back to speak with me about that book. Oh, I would love to. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that you're able to, I know a lot of writers do this. They go back and forth between genres. And I find that just so extraordinary, <laughs> extraordinary pieces. When you get those award-winning anthologies and you, you know, you find yourself in those, it must be thrilling. I mean, I can't imagine what that's like. And it, it must be very gratifying. It is. Absolutely. It's it's so, so nice to see your work in print. There's really something that never gets old about kind of just seeing your name there and the words written. It's It's magical. But I would say the biggest thrill is hearing from readers. So if someone writes to me and they message me, they let me know, I've read this story by you. It really changed how I understood something, how I saw something. I draw a lot, a lot on my Chinese heritage for my in my flash fiction, you probably noticed. Um, when someone says they connected with that, that's above and beyond. That's really the highest high that I can get as a writer. Listeners, I will make sure that I post the link to Kristen's website so you can please avail yourself of all of the gorgeous material that is there. And speaking of all the material that is there, this promotion train for you is revving up. And man, I now I know you've done this probably overseas. I don't know if it's going to be any different in the United States, but I feel like, are you ready for all this? <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> I don't think it's sunk in yet. It, it still feels a long way off. I'm like publication that's months down the line. And yesterday my husband was like, isn't it three weeks from now? And I was like, oh my goodness. Kind of run around in circles a bit. <laughs> because it's March 14th. So it hits shelves on March 14th. Where yeah. can readers and listeners find out about all of these upcoming events that they may be able to zoom in on and, and, and follow along with? That is a very good reminder that I need to update my events page on my website. I'm usually my website is the best place. I also post to Instagram. I'm not on Twitter very much, although I do have an account there. So those are those are the places where you can find me. And I do love to hear from readers. Oh I really, really do. Well, get ready because you're going to hear all kinds of beautiful things. And my next question is usually anything you can share about what you're working on next, but we've already got that information and I can't stop smiling 
knowing that. <laughs> so I have to get myself together before I let you go, because I know I am monopolizing your time and I'm so appreciative. Anything you can share to listeners, book recommendations that you have? Yeah, sure. So my top book recommendation right now, as it has been for the past year, is Peach Blossom Spring by Melissa Fu. I absolutely loved that book. I spent about 45 minutes just staring at the wall after I finished it. It really touched me. So that was that was kind of a really unusual reading experience for me. And I would also highly recommend The Nature of Fragile Things by Susan Meissner. I'm Susan is joining me for my book launch in on March 14th. And I'm really excited chatting with her. And that book is gorgeous. I grew up in San Francisco and was quite obsessed with the history of the earthquake. So that that book was a real revelation. And where is your book launch going to be? It is going to be in my hometown of Redmond, Washington. That's great. Oh my goodness. That is wonderful. I'm excited. I'm excited for you. (laughs) Hoping that at some point, you know, we can zoom in or see, catch glimpses of some of that. So readers can find everything on the website and maybe some things on Instagram. We've got two book recommendations, which I am very appreciative for. And I will put all of that on the podcast page for this episode. Today's book, The Last Russian Doll by today's guest, the wonderful Kristen Lush hits shelves on March 14th. So please grab a copy at your local library or your local independent bookstore. The Last Russian Doll is published by Berkeley Books. And Kristen, I obviously am so grateful. I thank you so much for joining me and the listeners today of Merrick Library's Top Shelf Podcast. And I really do hope I haven't scared you off and that you will join me for whatever comes next. Oh, thank you so much. It was really a pleasure to do this. This is amazing. Good luck with everything that's going to happen this year. And listeners, as always, I thank you for joining me today. Remember to follow Top Shelf at Merrick Library on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you find most podcasts. For the latest and the greatest at the Merrick Library, check out our website at MerrickLibrary.org. Special thanks, as always, to Merrick Library Director Dan Chusmere, Assistant Director Diane Bondi, and the Merrick Library Board of Directors for getting us off the ground and on to the airwaves. Until the next time, remember to keep us on your top shelf. 